Well, I tell you ahead of time that our message is a two-part message, and uh, I will complete it tonight, Lord willing. <laughs> I should be able to complete it tonight, but I know I can't complete it this morning, so I, uh, I just said, okay, this is not going to happen. I'm not going to be able to finish this this morning, but I, uh, uh, you know, we have a theme up here that we are uh, in the midst of, knowing Christ and making him known, and um, and so we want to, uh, on a monthly basis, as best we can, sometimes we try to do it, well, most of the times we try to do it on the first week of the month, but that doesn't always work out. Sometimes the first week of the month, like this past month, uh, gives us other things going on, and so consequently, uh, we're not always able to do that. But uh, I think it's an important theme for us to continually keep before ourselves, and um, so let me see, you got it? Good. And so... Uh, Knowing Christ through his words. Now, there's different ways for us to make uh, for know Christ and make him known. And so uh, when it comes to knowing Christ, I preached a message back in January posing three basic questions. First question was this, okay, how much of this knowledge of Christ, when it comes to knowing Christ, how much of this knowledge of Christ do you believe God wants you to know? How much does God want you to know about his son, Jesus Christ? I would say if we'd answer that question in our hearts, we realize just how important it is for us to get to know Jesus Christ better. The second question I pose is this. How much of the knowledge of Christ do you want for yourself? Right, we know God wants us to know things about his son. We know Jesus wants us to know things about himself. But I ask you this. How much do you want to know about the Lord Jesus Christ? It's a critical question. I think it's a pertinent question, a question I think we need to answer in our hearts because it's going to keep us either seeking the Lord or it's going to get us bored in the Christian life. If you don't care to know more about Christ, you're going to, get, uh, you're going to become, um, you're going to become, you're going to wax old in your Christian experience. You need to continually seek the Lord and want to know more about Him. The third question I think that disposes as pertinent is this, is, in this knowledge of Christ, and about this knowledge of Christ, how much do you want to be able to share what you know with other people? Because you see, it's not just taking it in so that you have it and you become this reservoir of truth, although it's important for us to have truth and, and have the truth in our heart and live the truth that we have. But you're not just supposed to be a reservoir of truth. You're supposed to be a channel. Amen? A channel of blessing. God doesn't give you the truth just so you alone can possess it. God gives you truth so that you can disperse it, distribute it, and share it with other people because other people need to know the truth. Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so other people need freedom. You receive the freedom that God gives you through the truth of his word. You need to share it with other people. Folks, don't we know that other people are so desperate to know the truth of God's word? This world is in darkness it's in darkness, and it's floundering. If you can't see that in the news that you see from day to day, you just aren't looking very well because the world is struggling. I'm not just talking about our country. I'm talking about the world. The world is in a mess. It's in an absolute mess. And the reason is, is because they have turned their hearts from the God who created them and has for them the truths that can literally set them free from the bondage of their sin and error that they are so steeped in. In a message that I preached back in January, I preached from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, and Paul earnestly prayed that our knowledge of God would cause us, number one, to be empowered by the might of His Spirit. In other words, God can take what we know about Christ 
and cause it to be, empower us. The Spirit of God can take that knowledge and literally empower us to live our lives for Christ. Secondly, when that, this knowledge of God that, that God causes us to have about Christ, He causes us to embrace the reality of His presence. We want to realize that Jesus Christ is not just some fictitious character. He is not just some uh, spooky thing that we talk about, you know, in a spiritual realm that we don't realize. But he is somebody whose presence we want to experience. It's not enough to say that we know spiritual truth. We need to know the person of the Lord. You say, God wants us to know him personally. Thirdly, this knowledge of God causes us to be enlightened by the dimensions of his love. The more you know about God, the more you see how much he loves you. You can trust your life with somebody who loves you. And the more you know God loves you, the more you experience the fact that God loves you and that God wants the best for you. A lot of people are not giving their lives to God because somehow or another they think God's going to lead them down a path that is not going to ultimately be good for them or not ultimately be joyous for them. That's a lie. That's a lie of the devil. The devil would just love for you to think that way. Because as long as he can think you think that, I'm not going to give my life to God because if I do, he might lead me to some dark place, some place in the world and cause me to be unhappy the rest of my days. Oh, no, no, no. Anytime God leads you, he's going to lead you into paths of righteousness and it'll be for the fullness of your joy. It will not be to kick you and frustrate you. God is not a cosmic killjoy. God wants you to have life. He wants you to have it more abundantly. Amen. Amen. He's not trying to take life from you. He's trying to give you the real thing to you. Amen? And that's what we have to grasp. And, and fourthly, we said here that Paul, this is all according to Paul's prayer. You can look it up here in Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. But this is stuff that we covered earlier along this very line. He wants the, our knowledge of God to cause us to be enriched by the fullness of his person. To be enriched by the fullness of who Jesus Christ is in our lives. So that was the message we already preached. Now, God used the Apostle John. Here we are in the book of John now. Here, John, God used the Apostle John to write a gospel convincing us that Jesus is the Christ. The Messiah, the promised seed, the one who God promised all the way back in Genesis that would come. He would be that Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he would be that one that shows us the way of life. Amen? God wants us to know what life's all about. And Jesus Christ came to live that life. He was the embodiment of life, capital L, capital I, capital F, capital E. I'm talking about the, the life of God. Jesus embodied this life. And he came to show us what that was all about. Well, John tells us why he wrote his gospel. If you go all the way to chapter 20 and verse number 31, John reveals to us why he wrote the gospel now, why the Spirit of God led him to write what he led and, and, and put in, in the Gospel of John the different contents that we have there. In chapter 20, verse 31, it says, Be it these things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have a life through his name. That's why John wrote the Gospel. He gives us, I mean, he tells us, he says, These are why I've written these things. I've written these things so that you can know that Jesus Christ is indeed who he said he was, the Son of the living God, and that in him you can have life. And this is what we want. We want the real life. You know, people say, oh, get a life. We've got a life. We've got the life, amen? 
These people that are out there saying, get a life, they are deceived into what that life is. They think that the life is partying, party hardy, and, and live it up, you know. Eat and drink for tomorrow we die. No, no, no. That's not life. That's the way of death. And it leads you down the pathway of destruction. We want a life that's going to give us an everlasting outcome that is joy and fullness of joy and abundant in its very nature. Amen? That's what God has for us. Amen, Pastor. That's a tried. Amen. So John provided us with seven powerful statements from the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus said many things. And, of course, uh, <laughs> I mean, the Gospels are filled with things that Jesus Christ said. But there are seven specific things that Jesus said that reveal to us what he is like. That reveal to us the things that we need to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I take from these the seven I am's to help us know Christ through his own words. Everything Jesus Christ said and revealed about himself to us in his word is worth our thought and worth our meditation to take those things to heart, to realize what he's saying when he says things like, I am the bread of life. We need to realize the implications of that but understand what he's saying to us when he tells us that he is the bread of life. Well, just to give you a little bit of a, uh, the, the seven I am's, knowing Christ through the seven I am's, he said, first of all, he said, I am the bread of life. We just read about that. We'll look at that in just a second here. He also said, I am the light of the world. He tells us also that I am the door. He tells us also that I am the good shepherd. He also reveals to us in John, I am the resurrection and the life. He also reveals about himself that he is the way and the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by him. And then he also reveals to us that he is the true vine. And I guess you could say there's another I am in the book of John. I guess he says also that uh, before Abraham was, I am, revealing to us the very eternal nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're going to look at these seven. We're going to look at these seven. I plan on covering three on this morning and then come back this evening. We'll complete it tomorrow to tonight as you come back this evening. But I want to look at these because the fact I think these are instructive for us. They help us to understand more about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus made it clear in John chapter 10 and verse number 10. I am come that you might have life. Amen. Do you want the life of Christ? I, I do. Do you want the life of Christ? Do you want Jesus Christ to give you the kind of life that is filled of joy and blessing and that, and that not just blessing for now, but a blessing that will actually follow you into eternity? Don't you want that kind of life? Jesus said this. He said, I am come that ye might have life and that ye may have it more abundantly. Jesus is not trying to take things from you. He's trying to give something to you that has everlasting value. You know, it's a shame if you just live here for your whatever, how many years you live here, and you take with you nothing to follow you into eternity. God wants you to have fruit for eternity, amen? I mean, He wants to bless you right now, but He wants to bless you, and He wants those blessings to follow you. That's why the Bible says to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
where moth and rust don't corrupt and thieves don't break through and steal. Because God wants some of the things that you're doing now. You see, this, this life right now is kind of a proving ground. It's a proving ground. It's to show God how much you love Him. And God longs to bless you now. And God longs to take some of those blessings that He wants to give you now so that you can carry them on with you into eternity. You want to be blessed with the blessings of God, not just now, but forever. Amen? Amen. And so God tells you how to have this abundant life. And Jesus informs us by some of these words that He tells us how these things can be ours. Now, I will say at, each, at the end of each one of these, Selah. That basically means stop and think about this. I trust you to go home today and you will take some of these things and you will think about these things. Because there are implications here that you need to think about. All right? This is not pie in the sky. This is stuff that's real. As a matter of fact, it's more real than most of the things that you look at today. These are things that are real, that are real because God has made them spiritual and he's made them to give us the kind of life that he longs for us to have as believers. And so, first of all, Jesus said this, I am the bread of life. We read the passage about Jesus claiming to be the bread of life. In verse 35 of the passage that we just read, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now, I'm not going to take each one of these passages and just go from the beginning to the end and explain and expound upon all these passages. That's not my purpose for this morning. But I want to bring to light some of the things that these, these, these uh, metaphors that Jesus Christ gives us imply for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Bread has always been an essential element in sustaining life. So for Jesus to claim to be the bread of life, there's a sustaining nature to life that Jesus Christ longs for us to have. Now, I went home, <laughs> I went home yesterday. I didn't know if I should do this or not, so I'll just tell you what I did. I went home yesterday. My wife makes the best homemade bread. Man, my grandkids call it Grammy bread. Amen? And man, it is good, and especially when you go home and you smell it cooking in the oven. Oh, man, I tell you what, I'd eat the whole loaf right then and there if I could. When it comes warm out of the oven, you know what I mean? Slice that thing up, put butter on it. Mm -mm -mm -mm. I don't know if I like the butter better than the bread or the bread better than the butter. Either way, it is good. But I went home yesterday, and right there on our counter was sitting a big, brand new, spanking new bread of Loaf of Grammy bread, just sitting right there. Oh, I was tempted to get the knife and just slice it up and start feasting on the Lord. Amen. Just feasting on the manna. Amen. But I didn't. But I did take a picture of it. And so I was over there taking pictures of it. And I was thinking, I know what I'll do. I'll just show them, you know, pictures of this Grammy bread. I thought, no, 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 maybe not. <laughs> because... It's not just the bread that we're looking at here. The bread's the metaphor, you see. I don't want you all be drooling over a loaf of bread like I probably would be uh, if I was sitting there looking at it here on this picture up here. But I will say to you that we like bread. How many of you like bread? Come on. Look at all those hands. Yeah, you would like blammy bread too, I guarantee you. But uh, so Jesus said on the bread of life. Bread was, always has this essential element in sustaining life. All through history you read about it. 
And uh, you see God providing in the wilderness 40 years manna. This was bread. It was bread that came down from heaven. And it was God who gave the children of Israel this wonderful bread. Well, see, earlier in this chapter, if you read back in the first 11 verses, you find that Jesus Christ was uh, teaching the multitudes. And then, of course, they got a little weary. So he tells his disciples to give them bread. And so earlier in this chapter, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, we see the the account, John's account of the feeding of the 5,000. And so he fed 5,000 people. Now he took the bread and he he multiplied the bread and the fish and so on. And so they ate and they ate and they were filled. And so it was a miracle, the fact that Jesus could multiply the bread and multiply the food as he did. That was miraculous in its nature. But that's what leads us to this right here, this passage. So what happens is Jesus goes across the Sea of Galilee and he gets over to the other side there. And boy, the folks, man, they got filled the day before. Now the truth of the matter is they got some spiritual food too because Jesus taught them. But that really wasn't why they were coming to see Jesus again. The reason they were coming back was because they got their tummy filled, you see. And that's why they came all the way across, you see. They made sure they'd be feet over to the other side of the sea where Jesus was going to be because they were thinking, hey, maybe we're going to get some more of that manna, that, that, that bread that Jesus provided for us free. We all like free stuff, don't we? And they did too. And so that's what they did. So, so uh, they came looking, in verses 24 and 25, they came looking for more bread. Jesus knows this. And he tells them, that they would be better off working for something that will last forever. You see, you go across the sea to find another happy meal, and how long does the happy meal satisfy you for? Well, maybe a couple hours, maybe maybe a half a day or something like that. But you see, Jesus had something more for them. Jesus had something he wanted them to be satisfied with for their entire life and for the life thereafter. He wanted to provide them with bread that would not just satisfy them from meal to meal. He wanted to supply them with bread, you see, that was going to feed their soul. Sustain them spiritually. Provide for them beyond just a meal time. So this is what Jesus is talking about here. So he tells them, you're better off working for something that would last forever. And they said, well, what do you, you know, how do we get this bread that lasts forever? And so they asked this question to him in, in verse number 28. Jesus tells them, believe on the one that God sent. He says this in verse 29. Well, obviously, he's talking about himself. Jesus is the one whom God sent. But, of course, they had a little trouble believing this. They had a little trouble reckoning with this. Jesus said he was the bread sent down from heaven. And they said, show us a sign. Moses fed our fathers with the bread from heaven in verse 31. <laughs> Well, Jesus says, well, that isn't exactly true. It wasn't Moses that rained the bread down from heaven uh, uh, every single day when you woke up in the morning. It was my father that fed you with the bread. Moses didn't go like this and the bread came down. God was the one that fed you in the wilderness. It wasn't Moses, you see. They wanted to attribute everything to Moses. And Jesus was telling them that was my father that did that. He says, that wasn't the true bread, though. That stuff that you ate every day and you consumed, that wasn't the true bread. That wasn't the bread that gives you life and gives you everlasting life. And so that's not the bread that, that, not the bread that Moses fed you, so to speak. Jesus goes on and says, the true bread is he that is sent by the Father and gives life to the world. That's what he says in verse number 33. They said, evermore give us this bread. Now they said that 
easy for us to say stuff like that. It sounds real spiritual, you know? It's like the woman at the well. Everyone, give me this water so that I don't have to thirst anymore. Give us this bread that we'll, never, we'll never be hungry again. Well, he said, I am the bread. This is what Jesus said to him. I am the bread. The bread come down from heaven. And if you come to me, you will never again hunger. He says this in verse 35 through, 30, through 40. And the Jews had trouble with the saying. They're sitting there saying among themselves, isn't this the son of Joseph? Uh, don't we know his dad and his mother? This, isn't he, how come he's saying he's the bread come down from heaven when we know who his father and his mother are? We know where he came from. So he repeats himself. He says, if you choose to believe me, you can have everlasting life. I am the bread of life. He says this in verses 47 through 48. He repeats himself. He already tells them he's the bread of life, verse 35. Now he's telling them again, I am the bread of life. You know, remember what Jesus told the devil when he was hungry and the devil tempted him. He says, man shall not live by what? What was he talking about? He was talking about physical bread because, remember, he was fasting. He was in the wilderness. Obviously, he was hungry. The devil comes along and tempts him. He says, you can take these rocks, make them into bread. And he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You see, friend, so often we're so satisfied to eat this earthly bread alone. We're so satisfied with just being filled in our tummies and just having our physical bodies fulfilled and going from meal to meal to meal rather than being satisfied with the spiritual food that nourishes our soul and draws us closer to God and makes us what we ought to be for God's sake. And Jesus is saying, you need something beyond the next physical meal. You need something that will satisfy your soul and do so in an eternal way so that you will never be hungry Again, you won't need to be hungry again because I will satisfy you. I am the bread of life and I will satisfy you so you will never hunger for anything beyond me. Now all God's children ought to be saying, Amen. Forevermore, give us this bread. If you know the Lord, you have this bread. He lives within you. He longs to satisfy your hungry soul. And yet, what do we so often feed on? We're so often going from meal to meal, feeding on the husks and the things that this world are offering us, and don't satisfy our soul with the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ and the words of Christ. Not a new problem, though. And so, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He gave us the words of life. So bread has always been an essential element in sustaining life. Earlier, Jesus fed the 5,000. They came looking for more of the same. Jesus offered them bread that would nourish their soul and forever feed them spiritually. They said, evermore, give us this bread. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus gave us the words of life. Didn't we just sing about that? Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see, wonderful words of life. You know, 
God gives us in the Word of God wonderful words of life. But you know, it's something we will just do everything we can to make sure we don't miss the next table meal. And how often will we fail to nourish our soul with the Word of God? How often will we just rush in and read a verse or two so we can rush out and say that we did it and fail to nourish our soul? We just eat a little potato chip of the word, so to speak, just to satisfy maybe our conscience, but not feed our soul. Oh, folks, listen, we need to be nourished with the word. We need to take it in deeply. We need to digest it and allow it to change us and bless our very inner man. There's so much the Bible says about the Word. Because the Word is so vital for the Christian life. And yet, when I find Christians failing, I find often that Christians are not spending time in the Word as they need to. It's not just a little five-minute ditty that you do. It's got to be something that you literally you, that you literally live to nourish your very inner being. To satisfy the longing of your soul and fill your heart with what God wants to give you through his word day by day. If I were to say to you, how many of you have spent time in the word each day this week? I'm, not gonna, I'm asking you that, but I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass you. But I'm telling you, you know, somebody, one of my Bible teachers told me this. He says, seven days without the Bible makes one week. And I would say it doesn't even take seven days. You go from day to day without the Word, and you're going to find yourself floundering. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not just a spiritual discipline that I am looking at here. It's a person. It's a person. It's a relationship with a person. You live with people in your household. If you walked in for seven days in a row and never spoke a word to the people in your household and they never spoke a word to you, or maybe they tried to but you weren't listening, I would say there'd be a relational breakdown in your home. Because you need to communicate. There needs to be dialogue. God wants to talk to you. You need to talk to God. But I'm telling you, if you're not in the Word, I would venture to say not only is God not talking to you because you're not listening to Him, but you're not talking to God either. Because you know you need to be in the Word. And I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you. I'm trying to say there's a necessity here. There's a necessity. You wouldn't go a week without eating. You wouldn't go a week without feeding your body. You say, well, that's because my tummy starts aching. Well, maybe your soul's aching and you don't even realize it. Maybe there's some lack going on in your spiritual life and you're not even aware of it. If we would be as conscious about our soul aches as we are about our tummy aches, perhaps we would be much better fed spiritually. Listen, folks, we need the Word. And we need the feast on the Word. The Word needs to nourish us. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And He, says, he said, you, if you take of me, partake of me, you'll never hunger. But if you never sit down and partake of Him, you will hunger. Now, obviously, we need to come to Him to be saved. But once we're saved... We need to keep on feasting on the Word. Jesus says, come unto me, all you labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Well, He didn't mean for us to come to Him and leave Him. He meant for us to come to Him and stay with Him. Amen? To continually feast on the Word. Continually partake what He has for us. It's not something He wants us to do once in a while. 
It's something he wants us to do continually. You know, interesting. You know where Jesus Christ was born? Where was he born? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Anybody know what Bethlehem is? You know what the meaning of Bethlehem is? House of bread. Isn't that interesting? The bread of life was born in the house of bread. I wonder if God knew about that. Hmm. So, you know, as we get to these things, I want to have like some things that we think about. All right. So as a result of this teaching that Jesus gives us, this metaphor that he gives us here about being the bread of life, what are some things that we can take away? And so I'm trying to give you at least one thing to take away. I think there's probably many, but let me give you one thing to take away. Jesus will nourish your soul each and every day as you feast on his word. Jesus will what? You're what? How often? As you what? As you what? On what? On his word. Jesus wants to nourish your soul. You don't need to come in here looking like a, an anemic Christian. You need to be fat. That word fat means satisfied in the scriptures, okay? All right? He wants to satisfy you. But you need to take the word every day. Get in the word. Get in the word. Say, oh, pastor, I missed a couple days. Listen, I'm not here to try to put you in a guilt trip because you missed a couple days. I'm trying to say you need to realize that God wants you in his word so he can fill you, you see, and so he can nourish you on a daily basis. We all have days where things go awry and things happen that we didn't plan. I get that, okay? I'm not just saying do it as a discipline so you can check off a little check mark. I'm saying do it because there's a necessity for your soul and for the health of your spiritual well-being. And you need to just keep on walking with Jesus. Amen? And you're going to do it as you spend time in the Word. This is where I'm getting at. It's not just all about being having a spiritual discipline. It's about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. And so, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Well, there's another I am that we want to look at here. And it's in the book of John, chapter 8, verse number 12. In John, chapter 8, verse number 12, Jesus says... Then he spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of light. I am the light of the world. Here we have another metaphor. Jesus claiming he is the light of the world. And so you ask yourself, well, the purpose, what is the purpose of light? The purpose of light is to illuminate, to reveal, and to make visible. This is the purpose of light. And Jesus said he is the light of the world. So again, you're taking these metaphors in. What, what am I trying to do here? I'm trying to say, okay, through the words of Jesus Christ, okay, our theme is knowing Christ and making him known. Okay, how are you going to know Christ? Well, you're going to know him by listening to what he said and taking what he said to heart. He said, I'm the bread of life. Okay, if you want to know who he is, know what he said about himself. One of the things he said is, I'm the bread of life. He wants to nourish you, feed you, so you can be nourished in your very spiritual being. But he also said that I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And so he, again, has given us something else about himself. We want to know Christ so that we can make him known. 
But if you don't know him, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to do very well at making, you're not going to do very, a good job of making him known to other people. You've got to know him first. And so he's saying, I'm the light of the world. He's given us a little bit more, another glimpse into himself. Some more, he's defining himself to the world. So the world can see who he really is. Okay? But what is it that needs to be revealed or be made visible? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's truth. It's truth. This fallen world and our sinful hearts are filled with darkness, and the devil is doing his dead level best to keep us from the truth. Listen, folks. If you are dependent upon this world and the education system of this world to feed you with the truth, you don't understand what's going on. Hollywood's not going to feed you with the truth. The world's not going to feed you with the truth. The public sector of education is not going to feed you with the truth. As a matter of fact, they are dead set and their level, they're going to do their can to keep you from the truth. They won't even allow your Bible in their, in their schools in many cases. I thank the Lord for every godly Christian teacher that's out there doing their very dead level best to try to help these kids and teach these kids with what tools that they have and lead them in what paths they can. But the truth of the matter is, you're hamstrung if you can't take the Word of God and teach kids with, with the Word. It used to be that was one of our, that was our basic textbook for education. The Word. It was in every classroom. But now you can't take it into the classroom. You'd be censured if you take it into the classroom today. You'll have some administrator come up and tell you, you've got to take that and put that away someplace. That's a sad thing. Because... People are not illuminated, they're in darkness, and they're kept in darkness because they're not allowed to, to hear from the God of light who wants to give us, illuminate our hearts and help us to know and reveal to us the truth of his word. The, the, the devil wants to keep you in darkness. And it looks like there's other people beside the devil that want to keep us in darkness too. And we've got to understand that. I thank the Lord for good people who want to go in Congress and, and the Senate and in politics and, and try to do what they can to turn things around. But I'm going to tell you something. Who, buddy? It's an uphill battle. They have, got, they have got their hands full. They really do. Well, there's some guys that get on there, and I know that they're believers, and I know they're doing their very best to try to turn things around. But I want to tell you something. There's an element today that are trying to just break all the rules, throw all, everything out the window, and just make, and make the country all over again. And I'm telling you, what they're trying to make the country into is not going to help us. You know why? Because in most respects, these are people who are unsaved, have darkened, sin-stained hearts. You know what they all need? They just need a revival over there in Washington. And they need a revival over in Kansas, wherever, wherever the state houses are. They, they all just need a revival. They need to come to Jesus, amen? And they need to allow him to reveal to them the truth of what life's all about. Our forefathers... Spent time with God, and that's how they came up with what we have in our Constitution and in our founding, in, in founding documents of our country. So much of our country is based on the Word, on the truth of the Word. These were illuminated men, men who spent time learning the truth and knowing God, the God of truth. Okay, but that's them, and you're you. You can be illuminated by the truth. You can take the light that Jesus Christ longs to give you. And of all people, the Church of God... The church of Jesus Christ needs to know the truth so the truth can set them free. Amen? Amen. You need to get in the Word and let the Word illuminate you and get the Word turned. Let Jesus Christ turn the lights on for you. Listen, folks. You've got to be careful who you listen to out there because there's a lot of darkness being spread. And you just need to listen to the, you need to, listen to the truth. Otherwise, you're going to be led in this terrible storm of darkness.
We desperately need to know the truth about God and the life that God blesses. <laughs> there's things being, that being taught to our young people that there's not going to bring the blessing of God on their life. It's going to literally bring the curses of God on them. And we need to know it. And we need to be willing to share it. So we need to get in the Word. Jesus Christ is the light. He turns the lights on. The truth. The truth. The words of Christ reveal the truth and dispel the darkness so that you can live the life that God intended. This is what God wants. So, what is this life? Well, it's more than mere existence, I tell you. It's more than an oak tree has. Okay, we're talking about Jesus wants to have this life. We're not talking about the life of a tree. We're not talking about the life of a dog or a cat. You see, God made you in the image of God. And he has a, there's a component of life that the plants and the animals don't have. God has placed in your hearts eternity. He's placed eternity in your hearts. Plants don't live forever. I, I'll say this, and some of you are going to get mad at me. Dogs and cats don't live forever. I know you want Fifi in heaven with you. I understand that, but they don't have an eternal soul. They're not made in the image of God. I know some of you are mourning right now because you're a little pet cat, you know, from when you were a kid, Dad, and you better in the backyard and put a cross on top thinking you're going to see him when you get there. Sorry. Don't mean to disillusion you. But you, you have a soul and you will live forever. And you're made in the image of God. And you have a completely different life than all the other plants and animals that live on planet Earth. You need to recognize this. You see, we need to understand this. And so, Jesus wants to reveal to us what this life's all about. So, we see your life is completely a different quality to it. You have a conscience that makes you aware that there's a God and that there's some expectations that God has for you and that one day you're going to stand before God. And you want to make sure that when you stand before God, that you live the life that was pleasing in the sight of God. We know this as people. He's written His law in our hearts and, he, and He's designed us, and He's drawing us to Himself. This is what God wants to do and longs to do. Your life needs to be, needs light, or else you'll live in darkness of your own depraved heart and eventually die. Do you know plants need light? Plants need light. If you take a plant and you put it in darkness, it'll die. Plants need light. They need some kind of light. And you and I need light, too. Not just the sunlight, although that certainly is helpful. You know, they found out through this corona thing that one of the things that is very helpful and healing for the human body is to be subjected to the sunlight. It gives you this vitamin D that actually is very effective in helping us to fight and build our immunities and build up our immune system. And yet, what did it do when we had these things? They, they kept us cooped up in the houses. Okay? But you see... We need light, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, to illuminate our soul, to help us to see truth. And Jesus Christ is saying, I am the light. I come for this very purpose, to illuminate your soul. So important for us to understand this. So, 
for you to have life as God intended, sinner, you need to come to Jesus. You need to come to Jesus. You know, when I was an unsaved kid as a teenager back in the Florida Keys, I was invited to a meeting. I didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I didn't know anything about the life of God. If you said Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, I would not have known that you were talking about the four Gospels. Literally, I knew nothing at all about the Word of God, the truth of God. Oh, don't get me wrong. I heard about Jesus. I heard that He was a cross. He died on a cross. I, I heard about some of that stuff. But I, nobody ever told me what it was like to live for God. Nobody ever told me the truth of God. I did not understand it. But then on a Tuesday night in June 1973, I went to a meeting where Bill Murphy got up and he shared with me from the Word of God, he shared with me the story of what Jesus Christ did when he went to the cross and died on the cross and paid for my sins. And at the end of his message, he gave an invitation. And I raised my hand. He says, if anybody would like to have Jesus Christ as their Savior and have him pay for your sins, just simply raise your hand. I raised my hand. I was oblivious to everybody that was around me. I just listened. I was just tuned in to the message that he had because he was speaking right to my heart. Jesus was revealing himself and what he had done to my heart personally. And I came to Jesus that night, and I received Jesus Christ as my Savior, and the lights went on. I remember over the course of the next several weeks and months, I was convicted about things that I never thought twice about. Now all of a sudden I had this conviction about things, about my language, about some of the things I thought, about some of the things I listened to. Before I never thought twice about it. I just thought, well, this is just like everybody else, you know. But then I realized I wasn't just anybody else. I'm now a child of God. And God revealed this to my heart. The lights went on. And it wasn't because I was receiving all this stuff from the church that I was going to. God was literally turning the lights on, revealing himself to me and showing me the truth of what he was all about. And I began making decisions in my life based on what God was revealing to me about himself. And my life began to change. And that's what God does when you come to Jesus, amen? But wait a second. You see, oh, pastor... <laughs> I've already come to Jesus. Then walk in the light. Amen. Amen. You walk in the light. You see, it's not like you get everything that you need when you get saved. That's just the introduction. Amen. You get saved and you, and, you, and you come to the light and you say, Jesus, save me. And he comes into your heart and he illuminates you and shows you the truth of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And you believe it. God saves you. Hallelujah. Then he says, walk in the light. Walk in the light. You need to keep walking in the truth that God reveals to you. It could be today. He's revealing something about himself to you this morning. And the little buzzer goes off in your head or your mind or your heart or wherever it's going off right now. And you realize, hey, you know what? I'm not really spending much time in the Word. Hey, I'm really not being illuminated by the things that I'm looking at in the Scripture. Hey, I must not be following Jesus' story. You know what? That's the Spirit of God. He's turning the lights on in your heart. You need to walk in the light of what God's showing you. You see, that's what God wants you to do. You see, that's how you know Christ. You keep getting back in the Word and letting Him turn the lights on more. 
and make it brighter and shine in those dark recesses and corners of your life that you know you kind of try to hide from other people. Let God turn the lights on in those corners and illuminate you and help you to know what's true and what's right and why it's true and why it's right. So God wants to bless you. And he won't. He will. And so when you think about Jesus as the light, Christians, you need to come to Jesus. I should say you need to walk in light. And, and dear sinner, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you need to in the sincerity of your heart just come to Jesus Christ and ask him to save your soul. You say, why do I need to ask him to save your soul? Because if you don't ask him to save your soul, then you have to pay for your sin. And if you pay for your sin, you will spend eternity apart from God in a place called hell, and it will be forever. And that's serious. That is serious. It's not what God ever created you for. He didn't create you so he could destroy you. He created you so that you can have an everlasting life. Not to destroy you. He loves you. How did God love me? <laughs> It's not necessarily because you're lovable, because none of us are lovable. He loves you because he is love. That's his very nature. He made you and he loves you and he wants the best for you. And he proved it by going to a cross and dying there to save you. That's how much he loves you. So you need to come to the light. And third, that's all I'm going to cover this morning, is this. He says, I am the door. I am the door the door. John chapter 10, verse number 9. Jesus says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus says, I am the door. This teaching comes right on the heels of Jesus' teaching, I should say, healing the man who was born blind. Jesus healed the man that was born blind, and as a result of that, he was brought before the Pharisees, and he was told to go and see them, and he was brought before the Pharisees. And the Pharisees said, who healed you? And then uh, he explained to them that Jesus did. He says, what did he do? Well, he took clay, and he put it on my eyes, and he told me to go wash. And all of a sudden, I was able to see. We don't believe it. Well, what can I tell you? <laughs> so they call his parents in. Is this your son? Yeah, that's our son. Was he born blind? Well, yep, he was born blind. Well, how is it that he sees now? Um, we don't know, because the Pharisees, they just had it in for Jesus. And if anybody confessed Jesus, they were ready to take him and throw him out of the synagogue. So, uh, <laughs> so the parent says, well, uh, he's old enough, ask him. Threw him back under the bus. <laughs> and so, of course, they interrogate the guy again, and they ask him, tell us again what happened. I've already told you what happened. And you didn't believe me. I told you what Jesus did, and you didn't believe me. The problem was they didn't want to believe them. They didn't want to believe what Jesus Christ did for this man. It was a real bona fide miracle. And he says, you know, isn't it something? You think that he's, you don't know whether he's a man of God or not. He says, tell me where in history before where there was a person who was born blind, and, he was, and somebody caused him to be able to see. And he says, you're one of his disciples. And so at any rate... The end product was they threw him out of the synagogue. Now we know that this story here is dovetailed with that incident because if you look at John chapter 10, let's go there for just a second here, John chapter 10, and you look down, down toward the latter part of the chapter right here, it says here in John chapter 10, the latter part right here, uh, am I in the right place? Let me see here. 
Oh, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit too far. Okay? It says, okay, and many of them said, He hath a devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, These are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? So it's obvious that this whole context here in John chapter 10 is based on what happened in John chapter 9. John chapter 9, the blind man's healed, and he's brought before the Pharisees. They cast him out of the synagogue. And now, John chapter 10, Jesus Christ is explaining that he is the door of the sheepfold. And so this is all hinged together, okay? And we know that because this verse right here refers back over to the fact of what took place in John chapter 9. You say, well, I'm not sure I get that. Read it today in the afternoon, and you'll find it. I think you'll see how it all dovetails together. All right, so here's the deal. Jesus says, I'm the door. This teaching comes on the heels of this, this incident with this blind man. We can know this again according to this context, okay? Jesus uses the illustration of a shepherd and a sheep because the Jewish mindset associated leadership with shepherdship, okay? Because... Uh, political leaders as well as spiritual leaders referred to as shepherds. Even kings were referred to as shepherds. And so the Jewish mindset, they saw shepherdship and leadership, and they brought th those two together. And so Jesus opens his sermon with a familiar uh, illustration in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6, and one that every listener would understand. The sheepfold was usually an enclosure made of rocks, and the opening uh, was a door. And the shepherd or the porter would guard the flock or the flocks by night by, going, by laying across the door. So the, sheep, the shepherds would take their sheep and they would have them graze across the graze of the pasture lands in the daytime. And then at night, the shepherds needed to sleep. So what they did is they brought their sheep to this place. It was a rock enclosure. And they would lead their sheep into this rock enclosure. And then the porter or the person who was in charge of them, he would take these sheep, and often they were sheep of different folds. There were sometimes many folds that would go in this rock enclosure for these sheep, you see, to be kind of herded together for the night. And then the porter would lay across the opening or the door of the sheep so that none of the sheep can get out and nobody can get in to steal the sheep. So this is what he did. So Jesus is saying, I am the door to the sheepfold. I am basically the one to make sure the sheep don't get out and nobody gets in to steal the sheep. You see, because the shepherds come and lead the sheep out. But anybody who is not a shepherd, they don't go in the door. They try to climb over the wall, and they steal the sheep. And so Jesus is saying, I am the door. I am the one that leads them in and out so that they can have good pasture, and I protect them. And so this is basically what he's teaching right here. So... The true shepherd comes in through the door, and the porter recognizes him. So Jesus knows who the ones who are leading his sheep in the right direction. The thieves and the robbers could never enter through the door, so they have to climb over the wall and enter the fold through deception. But even if they get in, they would never get the sheep to follow them. Because of the fact the sheep don't know their voice. The sheep follow the voice of their shepherd. They don't follow the voice of a hireling, and they don't follow the voice of somebody who's there to steal them. So false shepherds could never lead sheep, so they have to steal the sheep away. Now, 
Jesus twice said in this particular passage here that he is the door of the sheepfold and he makes it impossible for the sheep to leave the fold, which is the false religion of Judaism. So you see, what just happened was, here's a man who got genuinely saved and followed the true shepherd who is Jesus Christ and what did the Jews do? Did I lose you? They did what? They kicked them out of the what? Synagogue. The Jews, were they following Jesus? No. They were ready to kill him. So was their religion helpful or harmful? Harmful. And dear friend, that was Judaism back then. Today, the world is filled with harmful ideologies and religions and things that are trying to take the people and deceive them and steal them away from God. Jesus is saying, I'm the door. I recognize who's real and who's not. And so the Pharisees had a genuine believer in their midst. And what did they do? They threw him out. And Jesus says, I'm here to let you in. They threw you out, but I'm here to let you in. Jesus recognizes who is a real seeker of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And we need to continually be really real seekers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So easy to be deceived here. So Jesus is the door. You see, he is the door. You can, the Pharisees threw the beggar out of the synagogue, but Jesus led him out of Judaism and into the fold of God. And Jesus today wants to lead you out of false religion, out of false ideologies, and into the true fold of God where you can be fed and led according to his will and his righteousness. That's what Jesus is doing. He helps us to understand the true from the false. And so, shepherds, again, sheep folds were protected by doorkeepers. False shepherds could never lead sheep, so they must steal them. Pharisees threw the blind man out of the synagogue, but Jesus let him into the fold of God. And so, what can we know about Jesus? That is, Jesus opens the doors of opportunity for us to be led by those who will shepherd us with the truth. Now, folks, these are things, again, what is my theme? Knowing Christ and making him known. How are we getting to know Christ here? Today, I want you to know him by the very words that he spoke. Now, he spoke a lot of words, so we're taking just a few. We're taking the I am statements in the book of John to show you, to help you to understand who Jesus Christ is. Because that's how you get to know him. You hear his words, that's how you get to know him. If I want to get to know one of you, I'm going to sit down with you, and you're going to talk to me, and I'm going to learn about you through your words. All right? That's what Jesus did. He's teaching us about himself through his words. We listen to his words. We think about what he says. And as we do, we understand who he is, and we understand what he wants for us, and we understand what he can do for us, you see, as we learn who Jesus Christ is. So this is my, now we're going to talk about some other things. We want to learn who Jesus Christ is through his works. We want to learn who Jesus Christ is through his witness. 
We want to learn who Jesus Christ is through his ways. And so we're going to take these different things that we see in the scripture about Jesus Christ, and we want to learn who he is, because that's the only way you're going to get to know him, and that's the only way you're going to be able to accurately share with others who he is. You've got to learn who he is. His words, his works, his ways, his oneness with God, his, all these things we can learn about Jesus, you see, so that we can make him known in an accurate fashion. So let me just review and we'll be done. Knowing Christ through his seven I am's. We're going to just recover three of them. He says, I am the bread of life. What does that tell us? Jesus will nourish your soul each and every day as you feast on his word. Would you say that with me? Jesus will nourish your soul each and every day as you feast on his word. Listen, folks, let that be instructive to you. Get in his word. He wants to feed you. He wants to give you the bread of life. He wants you to have life. He wants it to be more abundant. Don't neglect it. Feast on it. Amen? Number two. I am the what? The light of the world. What does that tell us about Jesus? Jesus wants sinners to come to the light. And Jesus wants Christians to walk in the light. Okay? What does that tell us? Jesus wants sinners to what? And Jesus wants Christians to what? Walk in the light. Gives us the metaphor. Gives us so we can understand who he is. Number three. I am the door. Jesus says, I am the door. What does that tell us about Jesus? Jesus opens doors of opportunity. For us to be led by those who will shepherd us with the truth. Shepherd us with the truth. Don't just go because you've got itchy ears. Don't just go to satisfy your wow. Church is not a roller coaster, amen? Not supposed to be. It's not Six Flags, right? Somebody told me about a church that's over there in Leewood. They call it Six Flags over Leewood. Why? Well, I don't know. You make your assessment. What I'm telling you is, is God, wants to learn us, God wants us to learn about himself. Amen? And we need to subject ourselves there. And we need people who are shepherds who are going to lead us. We need to be led. Very frankly, we need shepherds. We need to be led. Your children needed parents to bring them up, to bring you up. Direct you in the right way. We need people to lead us. God didn't just make us all... Just make us all islands, you see. God wanted us to be dependent upon himself. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. We just talked about three things, three of the I am's that you share with us here in the book of John. I trust that you'd help us to realize how vital this is for our lives personally. Lord, we need the bread of life. We need you to nourish our soul each and every day. We need to feast on your word. We need to be fed. We need, Lord God, to be strengthened. Our soul needs to be satisfied. Help us, I pray. You tell us that you are the light of the world. Well, we need illumination. We need the lights turned on. We're in a world of darkness. The world is filled with darkness. And God, we need to be illuminated. And God, we need to be shown what's true, what's right. And I thank you, Father. As we walk in the light, uh, we can see the truth of your word. We can have fellowship one with another. And, and Lord, we can, we can realize the spiritual life that you long for us to have. And then, God, you tell us you're the door. You open these doors of opportunity for us to be led by those who will indeed shepherd our souls. God help us. 
Help our folks here. Help us to come back tonight. We have more to cover. I trust, Lord God, that we would uh, get to know you more.